All right, good morning, everyone. My name is Joy. I am the Young Adult Coordinator here at GLC, and I'm super excited to start us off with our sermon series for the day. So we are covering a sermon series called What Difference Do I Make? So we are gonna go on a journey together to discover what it is we are created to do as human beings and followers of Jesus. So are we excited? <laughs> Woo! All right, so to start us off, we are gonna be unpacking the purpose of worship in our lives. So our point, our first point that we're gonna be covering is one of the primary purposes and callings that God has given to humanity is to worship him. But what is worship? So the first thing I think about worship is singing songs like we just did and raising a hand and maybe a hallelujah. And this is still an expression of worship, but this isn't all worship is. So in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul is appealing to Christians in Rome about what real worship is. So let's read that. It's uh, Romans 12, one through two, if you wanna follow along. All right, so it says, I appeal to you therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pretty straightforward, right? Let's dive into it. So the first thing that Paul points out is God's mercy. So we need to start by focusing on God's mercy. So worship begins with focusing on God's mercy. This is our motivation. This is why we worship. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves over and over again because we so easily forget who God is, what he's done for us, and the love that we can have from him from focusing on what he's done for us. So we need to take time to reflect on God and what he's brought us out of. And this is gonna grow our heart and adoration towards him. So Paul continues on after mercy, and he's talking about presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. We'll go back to that scripture again. Let's read that first line again. So it says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So to be a living sacrifice, what, what does that mean? So it is to be fully at God's disposal, to be available and willing to obey God in whatever he asks and commands. So sacrifice was something the first century believers understood. We don't really have sacrifices going on in the Western culture like they did then, but they definitely didn't have the same idea of sacrifice as Paul was talking about. So back then, sacrifices were usually killed. So when Paul was talking about a living sacrifice, he was talking about living holy and godly lives, following the Holy Spirit. And Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit so that we would be empowered to live our life and give it back to God. So here's the point here. Worship should change your lifestyle. Paul goes on in Romans to tell us what it looks like to offer our lives back to God. You no longer conform to this world. You live contrary to this world. How? We have help. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen to that. The Holy Spirit leads us to love, joy, patience, goodness, and all the other fruits of the spirits we find in Galatians 5. Let's look at one more scripture. Let's go to John 4:23. So this is when Jesus is speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. It says, but the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who worship him in that way. You see, the thing about the Father seeking true worshipers implies that there's false worshipers. And worship reveals our true beliefs. You see, everyone is worshiping something. If you build your life around something, giving it your time, 
your attention, giving it the ability to change your life, to take control, then that's a pretty good indicator that you're worshiping it. An example may look like we're worshiping our wealth, our health, relationships, careers, family. And although it's good to give those things some attention, but to allow it to change and take control of our lives, that's worship. So what is a true worshiper? A true worshiper looks like someone building their life around God, giving God your full attention, giving God the ability to change you, to take control of your life and to allow everything to go through him. So let's review. Worship is a Christian calling led by our view of God's mercies towards us. True worship requires a response. It requires a response that leads us to present our lives to God as a living sacrifice. And our worship reveals our true beliefs. What do you believe? Do you believe that the Lord is your Lord? And lastly, worship is how we love the Lord. If you truly love the Lord, then your life will become worship. So what difference do you make? Is your worship drawing you closer to God? Does your worship produce fruit in your life? And are you worshiping God alone? I want to invite Stephen up to continue with our second point. Um, okay, there it is. Whew. So, hi. Um, a few of you probably already know me, but I'm Stephen, and I'm one of the youth here at Greater Life Church, Waxhaw, and it's a great opportunity to be able to speak to you all here today. And I'm going to be talking about trust and how the Father invites you to come trust Him, and also how I make a difference in the way I trust. But in order to in order for me to talk about all of that, we first need to understand what trust is. And trust is a difficult concept to explain because it's similar yet different to so many things. When you trust someone, you believe in them. You have faith that they won't try to harm you. You can tell them things, and the list of things that trust allows us to do goes on. In Jeremiah chapter 17, it says that uh, whoever trusts God is like a tree whose roots spread out across the river. So that even when there are heat waves and droughts, then the tree will still have green leaves and bear fruit year after year. This shows that trust is like a dependency. And when we trust in God, he will provide for us. When we trust in God, we are allowing him to use us for his glory. In Proverbs 16.3, it says that if we commit our work to the Lord, then he will set plans up for us. And that our plans will be established. Like this, there are many other examples in scripture of how trust works. And through them, we are able to understand the many ways that trusting God benefits us. If we really think about it, trust is essential in basically all aspects of our faith. When we are giving, we are trusting God that he will use our money in a way that we can honor him. And when we are serving, we are trusting him that he will guide us. If you have ever heard the words, the Lord will provide, you are trusting that God will provide for you. The bottom line on what trust is, is that trust is where we depend on God and allow him to control all of the aspects of our life in exchange for his provisions, plans, and protection for our lives. So now that we know what trust is, why should we trust God? Well, to start off, all of the things that I mentioned earlier are all great examples of why we should trust God. If we trust him, then he will provide for us. In Jeremiah 1.22, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, 
plans not to harm you, but to give you a rich and satisfying future. This shows how God wants what is best for us. He just needs us to trust him and he will use us for his good. An example of how I've needed to trust someone in my life was during one of my health projects in school. We were put into groups and in order for us to get the task done, me and my group needed to all do our respective parts so we could finish the project. Now, unlike my school group, God actually holds up his end of the deal and helps us. <laughs> A couple verses that explain this really well are Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where it says that if we trust in the Lord and don't depend on our own understanding, then he will show us which path to take. In other words, when we trust in God, he helps us steer away from evil and towards us go our goals. Another reason why it is so important to trust is shown in anyone who you have a relationship with. It would be almost impossible to establish that relationship if you don't trust the other person. Think about it. You have to trust basically every friend you have or every person you know in order to befriend them. It's the same way with God. How can we expect to be close to God if we can't even trust him? The Bible has over 7,000 promises contained in it. God is all-powerful, so he can do everything he promises right in that instant. So why wouldn't he do it and promise us that he would do it in the future? It's because he wants us to trust him. God already knows everything about us, so we just need to be willing to trust and accept him. If we are able to prevent, befriend people by trusting them, then why don't we trust in God? Well, I'm not going to leave that question un unanswered, so I'm going to show you how to trust in God. So the way I want to explain this is by comparing our relationship with God to a relationship you would have with a friend. You see, most of us, if something exciting happens to us, we tell whoever our, the first friend we see is exactly what happened. Why shouldn't it be the same way with God? In fact, it should be even easier because God is always with us. So it's easy to come to him for whatever happens in our lives. Going back to Proverbs chapter 3, it says that we should not depend on our own understanding. And other places in the Bible, it says that, the, that his word is like a lamp for our feet. We don't need to know everything he has in plan for us. We just need to know the next step in the plan and trust him that he has the rest of it all figured out. In order for us to have a relationship with God, we need to be willing to let him use us however he sees fit. So to trust him with our entire existence, we also need to have faith in him. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is driving out a demon that isn't a boy. The boy's father asks Jesus to help him, and Jesus tells him that anything is possible for those who believe. The boy's father then says that he does believe, but he wants Jesus to help him overcome his unbelief. This is the same mentality we all need to have when it comes to trusting God. We need to trust God as much as we can, and then ask God to help us overcome the rest of ourselves that don't trust him. God wants what, what's best for us, and he wants us to trust him. So we need to come to him if we are struggling through something, and he will help us. Now that we know what trust is and all the benefits of trust, I'm going to talk about how I make a difference through the way I trust. One way is how I follow God's instructions. When I trust God, it is also a lot easier for me to come to him with various problems I'm having, whether it's studying for a big test or worrying about a sports game or even something else. It has allowed me to get a lot closer to God by doing all of these things, and it makes my overall faith stronger and allows me to overcome obstacles in my faith because I can trust God to, that he will help me to get through it, get me through it. I hope this helps all of you to start trusting in God more throughout your lives because the Father invites you to come trust him. And now I'm going to turn it over to Erica. Amen.
Amen. Can we give it up for Stephen and Joy one more time? I'm Erica, and I'm the youth pastor here at Waxhaw, and it is amazing to see how God works through these young students, through their gifts that God has given them. This past week, me and Ricky had the opportunity of going to youth summer camp along with our campus in Matthews, and it is safe to say that each and every one of our students had an encounter with God. We were a group of 45 students and 10 leaders, big group, and I believe next year it'll be double. Um, and if you don't know what happens during youth camp, um, it is a mix of, we went from Sunday through Wednesday, and it is a mix of rec games, morning and night services, no sleep, eating lots of food, drinking lots of water, but most importantly, um, it is a time of meeting new friends, growing closer with one another, and having the opportunity of having a life-changing experience, all during growing closer to God. We had a total of three first-time salvations, 12 rededications, three baptisms in the Holy Spirit, 11 called into ministry, and 27 healings. Amen. Which is what camp is all about, for each and every student to experience what God can do in their lives, all while having fun as well. I had to share this with you guys because it makes me emotional to see how this generation is learning to take that one step that helps them grow a strong relationship with God. And he did the same with me during when I was a student and going to youth camp and how God worked through me and made me who I am today because I was faithful and trusted what he spoke in my life during those youth camps. And now that I am the youth pastor, I am able to testify what God has done in my life, and I want our youth students and you adults as well to do that as well. So this leads me to my point, the Spirit has invited you to testify. We are going to start by looking at God's story. And at this portion of scripture, it's just after Jesus had washed his disciples' feet within the last few days of him being on this earth and before he was crucified. And he's actually telling them what to expect. He's encouraging them. And one of the key moments, one of the key phrases that Jesus continues to use in John chapters 14, 15, and 16 is this promise that the disciples are not going to be alone. That even though Jesus is leaving, one greater than him is going to come, and that is the Holy Spirit. You see, it refers to the Holy Spirit as our advocate, which is more than a guide. It's more than a helper. It's this God-level power that you and I, once we're followers of Christ, have access to daily, to help us and guide us to speak life, to speak truth, and do some pretty incredible things that honestly you and I cannot do on our own. We read in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. This verse is very hard to read as I am very much a people pleaser. The last thing I want is for people to hate me. Um, but I will explain that if you're a person like me, then we're doing things wrong. We're going to keep going in verse 19. It says this, if you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. And that is why the world hates you. Jesus is making something clear at the end of this chapter. He is letting the disciples know that they and we have two choices. He is drawing a line in the sand and being upfront with his disciples. Choice one involves trusting God 
It includes remaining in his love, choosing to live as Jesus lived, and allowing the joy of Jesus to be in you. Choice two is belonging in the world. Belonging to the world means recognizing that there is sin and brokenness in the world and being okay with living in it. It's potentially going to church every week, hearing the message, and not letting the power of God's word transform your life and shift your actions. Choosing the way of the world means looking out for yourself first. It means taking advantage of the less fortunate around you. It means consistently choosing to not honor God with your body and your relationships. The list can go on and on, but that is not God's best for you. There is a sentence in the middle of verse 19. It says, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Let that sink in. To anyone who walks with him, you are chosen. Just as Jesus handpicked his 12 disciples, he is choosing you and I to be his partners. Then the end of the verse ends with the world hating you. Why will they hate you? John 7, 7 says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. To break that down, they're not just hating you or me because of who we are, but they're hating the way we follow Jesus, the way that we love others, the way that we strive to be the people that God's created us to be. It reminds them that they're choosing and they're settling for everything that the world has to offer. It reminds them that they're choosing to stay in that brokenness instead of accepting God's grace, instead of walking in the freedom of his love. It's not that they hate you and I as people, but they hate that we are challenging them by the way that we love other people, that there is a better way. Verse 20 picks up with, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. This is where Jesus inserts something quick but powerful. It's, re it's recognizing that some may persecute you because of you showing them the way of Jesus. And Jesus said, if they obey my teaching, they will obey yours also. Here's the shining light that I don't want you to miss. You and I cannot change people. In fact, Jesus never called us, never forced us to pe for people to change. He called us to trust in God, to remain in him, and to testify through God's Holy Spirit. Verse 21, 22, and 23. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they will not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. This is Jesus reaffirming, reiterating the reason for their hate is because God's goodness reminds them of their brokenness. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, it says on verse 24, they will not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Verse 26 continues with, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus just spent the end of the chapter letting his disciples know that the world may oppose you because of him. They may hate you. They may persecute you. But there will be those when they hear you tell them about his story who will be set free. And the best part of this is that you will not be alone. When you follow Jesus and make him the Lord of your life, God gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will cause you to testify. So what does testify mean? To testify means giving evidence that something is true. 
you and I play a small part in this. And this is exciting because the Bible doesn't just talk about the Holy Spirit right there. But there are several different spots in scripture. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 1 Corinthians 12 lists gifts of the Spirit such as messages of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, speaking in tongues, and interpretations of tongues. I hope you understand what is truly available to you once you walk with Jesus. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He is your advocate. He is your top-notch guide and your advisor who will guide you into truth. Whenever you study and memorize and learn God's, God's word, one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do is bring those things back to your memory. He will give you the boldness and power to testify or to share his gospel message and your personal story to show people the love and grace of God. At my job, I am constantly tested in this part. I am a director at a child care, and one of my biggest tasks is managing the teachers that I have. Um, they constantly go through things within their job, outside of their job. And as a Christian, I take those moments and opportunities to tell them about Jesus and how he can help them get through those struggles. But I always share with them my story and how he has been with me every step of the way because I have trusted him and have let him be the guide of my life. So what difference can you make? You can make all the difference because the Spirit invites us to testify. What does that mean? What does it look like? What do you actually do with that? Simply put, share your story. It doesn't mean you have to give a four-point sermon every time you talk to someone, but it can be simple in sharing your story in a small and effective way. In fact, Scripture has different examples of this. Andrew told his brother Peter, we have found the Messiah, and that's all he needed to hear. Nathaniel told Philip, we have found the one the prophets wrote about. A woman at a well had a conversation with Jesus. Then she ran and told everyone in her town, come and see a man who told me everything I have, I have ever done. And that's all she said. And streams of people came to see Jesus. God's invited you to testify and recognize that when your friend is sharing something that they're struggling with, it's not for you to, to just be the, like there, say, oh, it's fine, it'll be all right, we'll figure it out. But actually, one of the roles that God's, one of the roles of God's spirit inside of us is to bring back to our memory truths of God's word and to help you speak with boldness, not just your own wisdom, not just your own ideas, but things you've learned from the Bible to help you bring light and life to that situation. But you got to step out and do it. It can look as simple as an invite. And sometimes people might say no. But God's timing is perfect. And he will continue to work through you and through the people that you are surrounded by. This is the way we can make a difference. By testifying things that the Lord has done through our lives. Amen. Good stuff. Amazing. You know, I, I've always been a firm believer that our story may not be for everyone, but it is for someone. And, you know, you, I, I sit here and I, I'm watching, you know, people like Erica and, you know, and, and my niece and Joy and, you know, people that just have been connected to my life for such a long time. And whether I made an impact or not, I've seen them grow. And, and you may say, man, why, why do we do this? Why is this so important? Because I kind of, as a leader... Um, I feel convicted. 
I feel convicted because there's people like Joshua and Caleb who were leaders among the people, great leaders among the people, and yet we still have Judges chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, after that generation died, another generation grew up with the, who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. It, it is extremely important. Let me tell you this. It is extremely important for us to prioritize teaching our Christian faith to the next generation. There's this quote that I read that says, um, because what one generation finds optional, the next generation will find unnecessary. You know, there's this old African proverb that says, if, the, if, if we don't initiate the boys, they will burn down the village. And when we think of an entire generation, it could be a little bit overwhelming for us because some of us can't even see past what's in front of us today. We got our own problems, our own difficulties. And you mean to tell me I got to figure out how to deal with this little person and, and, and talk to them and instruct them and share my story with them? They may not even understand it. But it's in those small choices and those small connection pieces that we end up making a big impact and a big difference. Listen, it's easy for me because I've always been immature. <laughs> I've never, you know, and, and having a five-year-old just kind of, you know, it, it works on my campaign personally, but, but it is something that we should all be convicted about, something we should all prioritize. All the small choices, the small decisions we make tend to have an impact whether we see it or not. You know, I see Erica, a little girl who grew up in a, with our family, and we, she went to church. She went to our kids' ministry when she was just a little girl. We were watching videos of, of Raquel in our kids' ministry growing up, just being a little girl. Joy being my practicum student when she was in college. And I see all these things, and I think to myself, oh, my goodness, the impact. Stephen, my goodness, like a future scholar among us here. <laughs> it, uh, you know, one of, the only psalm that Moses wrote was Psalm 90. And the first verse, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. But then he goes on to verse 12, and he says, in verse 12, he says, teach us to number our days that we may gain our hearts of wisdom. Teaching us that no matter the moments may feel overwhelming, but we're in the long haul. Psalms chapter 1 teaches us that we are people. It says that people give their fruit in season. We're on a marathon, not a sprint with these guys. I look at my child and I'm like, oh, what do you got in store for this little one? But I continue to pour into his life, believing that he will bear fruit in season. But our moments matter. What we do each instant of the day, how we make every decision as parents as influencers in our kids' lives, it matters. It makes an impact. I'll leave you with this statement. Don't waste the time you don't have damaging the thing that matters most. Prioritize the next generation. It'll pay dividends after dividends for your life personally. You'll get to sit down one day and watch amazing things happen. It's not all about us. It may be about the next person. Amen? So let's do our God-giving uh, assignment to, to pour into their lives so they could be the next generation that God has called them to be. Amen.
Let's give it up for these young people again, man. That was, wow. That was amazing. Let's pray. Let me pray you guys out. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity, Lord, to just come here and, and just worship you this morning. God, I, I pray that the blessing and, and, and the things that you have begun in our hearts this morning will continue to grow as the week goes on, God. Help us, Lord, to be convicted about those things that you want us to be convicted about, those things that need to be changed in our lives, Lord. But most of all, God, help us to be encouraged by the fact that our future is bright, knowing that the next generation is in your hands, God. Give us the opportunity to invest in them, Lord, so that we can see your greatness and your goodness throughout time, Lord, as we, are, we become witnesses of the amazing things that you accomplish through them, God. I pray that you would bless everyone in the room and the families, God, and that you allow us to have blessing after blessing this week as we honor your name. Thank you, Jesus, for being so good and for being with us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday.